Hey everyone, welcome back to the Health Hacked Podcast. My name is Andy Kraft. And I'm Aaron Kraft. And today we are going to cover some recent changes to GMO labeling that I think you'll find interesting. Uh, more research on how omega-3 supplementation impacts heart health. And then we're gonna get into some uh, controversial topics. A big announcement on boosters for kiddos, the power of breast milk, and uh, the dark side of virtual learning for kids. So let's get into it. Kick us off, Aaron. So starting January 1st of 2022, there's officially new uh, regulation around the GMO labeling. Um, GMO stands for genetically modified organisms, which most like corn and soybeans are genetically modified. And it used to be called GMOs, like you'd see that on labeling. Um, now it has changed. The name of that is new. It is called uh, bioengineered. So they this used to be regulated, I believe, state by state, but the USDA wanted to make this more uh, uniform across the United States. And this is one way they are doing that. So all GMO labeling will now be called bioengineered, which is a little bit confusing for people, especially with like labels already being very confusing. There's so many different uh, words on them and regulations around kind of what labeling needs used for what products. So this kind of makes it a little bit more confusing as you are looking at your groceries. So just know that basically if you see bioengineered, that's the same exact thing as GMO. Um, there, there was some speculation on, on why this was changed. Um, there is kind of some neg negative, uh, negative stigma around the word GMO. There hasn't been really any convincing studies that it is without a doubt dangerous, but it is something people do try to avoid. Like if, if you have the option to choose GMO or non-GMO, most people will go with the non-GMO just to, to be safe. Um, but because of the negative stigma, there was speculation that they're trying to change the name of this to avoid that, but um, that's, that's unconfirmed. The, the USDA says they're doing this for uniformity. So just know when you're going to the store, that anything that says bioengineered means GMO. Yeah, so there'll probably be new uh, new labels that come out that's saying free of bioengineered yeah. ingredients. And we've, yeah. we've done an episode on GMOs. And yeah, like you said, there's a, there's a big negative stigma around GMOs. And GMO, just because something is GMO doesn't make it bad. It's just if something is... Uh, if something comes from a genetically modified crop, it's more likely to be exposed to glyphosate, pesticides, mm -hmm. you know, fertilizer, things like that. And that's why a lot of people try to avoid GMO. Um, now, it's not to say that if it's non-GMO, you're guaranteed you're free of those things because there's runoff and wind and things get carried into organic crops regardless. But yeah. Anyway, that's kind of a little history around GMO. So I, I yeah, we need some sort of reform around food labels because nobody has a clue on what anything means. Every time I go to the store, I feel like I discover some new label that I haven't seen mm -hmm. before. And then I got to go look up what it means. So for the ordinary person to just be able to use that as a uh, as a way to make decisions and, and then balance that with the marketing on the front, it's just it's it's borderline impossible. Yeah. Yeah, we did a full episode on all of the different food labels. There are dozens and dozens of labels and different organizations regulate different labels. So it's not like the FDA 
regulates everything. Sometimes it's the FDA, sometimes it's the USDA. There's all these different governmental branches involved and the regulations for each labeling is a little bit different. So we dug into this in an episode and I think we covered probably, I don't know, over a dozen, if not two dozen of the most popular food labels and explain exactly what it meant because it is very vague and it's hard to know. So check out that episode. I think it's called uh, Food Labels Explained. So if you want a kind of a high level view of the most common labels, that's a good source for it. All right. So speaking of food, uh, one thing that we talk about here on a lot, people may be getting tired of us saying it is uh, the power of omega-3s. Omega-3s are are fatty acid. They're often um, discussed relative to omega-6s. Omega-6s tend to be pro-inflammatory fatty acids. Omega-3s are anti-inflammatory. And omega-3s are just time and time again been shown to have significant impact on brain health and heart health. And uh, this past week, another study came out, a review study uh, that factored in a ton of different uh, trials around omega-3 and how it relates to heart health. So this one in particular, it was um, was a meta-analysis actually, that looked at several randomized control trials. So it wasn't just observational. They actually looked at 14 randomized control trials, which included, if you if you put all the data together, 135,000 subjects. And what they found is that omega-3 uh, supplementation, which in most of the studies, it was between 0.8 grams and 1.2 grams, which is a pretty common dosage. Like if you go to the store, like uh, Nature Nauticals, I, I think that's the brand I take. I always mess it up. But most of the brands are, are around 1,000. 1,000 milligrams or one gram. So that's a pretty standard dose. Again, all these trials, since they're accumulating multiple trials, they had different populations. They had you know different time periods. But on average, this supplementation was between 800 and 1,200 milligrams. And they found that uh, supplementation reduced the risk of major adverse cardiovascular events by... 27%, cardiovascular death by 21%, and uh, what, what was the last one here? Oh, myocardial infarction by, yes, that's how you say that, um, by 28%. Interestingly, though, with the data that they had, they had no, there was no significant effect on all-cause death stroke or stroke, which I found interesting, and I'm not really sure why that was, but... Definitely a statistically significant reduction in major cardiovascular events and cardiovascular death. So kind of just one more study to show the the power of omega-3 and and how important it is. And again, we mentioned it on here before, but a lot of the processed foods that are out there are just filled with omega-6s and most of the time deprived of omega-3. Or if you shift more towards a whole foods diet, you're eating a lot of um, animal, I mean, mostly found in animal products, but even like some nuts contain omega threes, fish, you know, those things are just omega three powerhouses. And that's why it's so important to get these in your diet, like starting, you know, today, you know, don't wait until you're diagnosed with some heart condition. Uh, you can start getting the benefits of omega three right now. Yeah. We always say that it's best to get it from a natural source like fish, like fish is the, is the most prominent source of omega three, but if you don't live on the coast, it's very hard to find like good tasting fish. 
Uh, both of us live inland, so we aren't, we don't have access to the best fish. So, I mean, I personally try to consume like actual fish once a week. And then I also supplement, supplement with omega-3. So ideally you get it straight from the source, but if you don't like fish or if you don't have access to fish, then supplementing is, is a great alternative. Yeah. And one way to get it really easily is like canned salmon or canned, uh, tuna, Mm -hmm. I think to like small cold water fish tend to have the most, I think tuna is maybe the number one source of omega-3 from, from fish. Salmon's also pretty high on omega-3 and no at like Costco, you can get like a pack of six cans of uh, canned salmon or canned tuna. Now they're very fishy tasting because they're sitting in fish oil essentially. And the fish taste will be in your mouth for the rest of the day. But, um, what I do, this is going to sound really gross to people but I will like take out the salmon and like mix it with like some mayonnaise. Mm -hmm. I have like this avocado mm -hmm. mayonnaise and it, uh, it's actually not bad. You, I mean, you can only take it in small doses, but that is a good quick hit of omega three. It doesn't sound very good. You just eat a plain or do you like dip crackers in it? No, I just eat it. Crackers would be good. And I haven't yeah. thought about that. Yeah. I just I eat crackers. it plain. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's, that's one way. If you can't cook up fish every day, look for canned. There's some great mm -hmm. options out there. Yeah. All right. Do we want to get into, do you want to cover the breast milk story? Or do we want to get into COVID stuff right now? Yeah. Look, the, the breast, the breastfeeding is pretty quick. There's not much discussion around this. Okay. I have a newborn, well, kind of newborn, he's two months. And so this study caught my eye. Now there has been so much research on the positive impact of breast milk versus formula. And this study was just released last week. It looked at the intelligence, the IQ and social intelligence, so intelligence quotient, and then social intelligence and BMI of seven to nine-year-old girls who were exclusively breastfed or exclusively bottle-fed or formula-fed. Involved 111 girls, and they found that breastfed, the breastfed group of girls had a greater number of above-average IQ test scores. So 35% of the breastfed girls had above-average IQ IQ scores compared to the bottle fed, which was 23% above average. And then this was interesting, social intelligence scores. Um, it was about 23% higher for breastfed girls versus the bottle fed. And then BMI was better. I think BMI is a garbage metric. Um, so I'm just going to ignore that. So IQ and social intelligence were, were better for breastfed infants later in life. Say, you know, seven to nine year, years later. And that's why breast milk is, well, that's why a lot of people say breast is best. That's a common phrase, like in the newborn, newborn world. And uh, it's often referred to as liquid gold because it's, it is so nutrient dense and the nutrients are specifically customized to the baby. So like when, when the mom gets sick, the mom, the, the breast, the mo mother will produce antibodies that are in the breast milk that will basically protect the child. And it, the, there, it's a basically a custom-made formula exactly for that child. It's exactly what that child needs to grow. And so it makes sense that their brains are developed le better later in life. So I know bre breastfeeding is very hard. Any, any mother out there knows how difficult it is. But if you can get breast milk in your baby, they, they might end up being smarter. I actually found or I saw an interesting story. I didn't even have this in my notes, but I, I remembered seeing an interesting story of uh, newborn babies who are born during, during the pandemic. So anywhere in the past two years and, uh, on average, 
it showed some developmental like screenings being lower for babies born during the pan- pandemic. And it was interesting to see the cause of that because one, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is like, oh, if, if a mother has COVID um, during her pregnancy, like does that cause some type of uh, some type of issue to the baby? Does that get passed on and, and cause some type of neurodevelopment? Um, and this was, I pulled up the article here. There's a quote here by... I believe the author of the study, and they said that we, so it was a study of 255 babies born during the pandemic. Um, and they said, we were surprised to find that absolutely no signal suggests that exposure to COVID well in year, let me restart that. We were surprised to find absolutely no signal suggesting that exposure to COVID well in utero was linked to neurodevelopment deficits. Rather, being in the womb of a mother experiencing the pandemic was associated with slightly lower scores in areas such as motor and social skills though not in others, such as communication or problem-solving skills. The results suggest that the huge amount of stress felt by pregnant mothers during these unprecedented times may have played a role. So I thought that was very interesting. Um, I'm, I, it's, yeah. it's, this is something that we, back when we started wearing masks, we were like, how is this going to affect like newborns? Like they're, they have a lot of developmental things that go on when they're out and about, where they're seeing faces of, of other people. Like that's really important for the de- their development. So we were questioning this back when it started. How is all these masks going to affect their development? Um, and this this is kind of one sign of of the stress of the pandemic potentially causing some um, issues with with newborns. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of factors to it. And it's my understanding there has been some research that antibodies from the mother do get passed down through the, the breast milk. Mm-hmm. But then, okay. okay, so that's a good thing. But then on the flip side, what does stress do? Stress during pregnancy is not good. That can impact the growth of the, the baby as well. So, yeah, it's it's really interesting. Like just newborn childhood development, it's just fascinating, which is a good yeah. segue into the next section, which is uh, boosters for kids. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about that. Yeah, so boosters were just authorized for ages 12 to 15. This is for Pfizer specifically. Um, and kind of what I want to cover here is is more so the narrative that has been put around vaccines for children. And nothing here I'm saying, I'm not inferring anything in terms of whether I think children should or should not be vaccinated. That's not what I'm talking about. I just want to talk about the narrative around kind of why what the media is pushing can be potentially dangerous for parents. And we slightly covered this last week, but there is this narrative that if you are unvaccinated, that you are in severe danger of hospitalization and death, regardless of your age or health condition. That's not factored in. It just if you're not vaccinated, you are in severe danger. I mean, even the White House told us this. Um, And this has been just ingrained into the minds and specifically into the minds of parents. But if you look at the data, um, a lot of this is kind of overemphasized. Um, kids specifically under the ages of 18 are in most cases not in severe danger or really any danger from COVID. Um, in fact, fully vaccinated people over the age of 30 are at a higher risk from COVID from ho- of hospitalization and death than unvaccinated people under the age of 18. And over, if you look at the stats of kids under the age of 18 who have died, um, that is 800 deaths. Um, well, that that's, means he- that's from the start of the pandemic. That's from, that's from start, two yep. years. Not saying that those 800 lives do not matter, but if you if we're talking about risk here, there, yeah, zero to 18 years 
of age, 800 kids have died of COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's 0.09% of, of all COVID deaths. This is in the U.S. specifically. And that includes healthy and unhealthy. Right. I yes. put out in our in our newsletter a few weeks ago, I, I actually showed some statistics of it breaking down healthy and unhealthy. And th- there's a big difference there. Mm-hmm. To further break it down, this is, by the way, this is from the CDC website. So if you look at 5 to 18-year-olds, 573 kids have died. Mm-hmm. Now, if you break it down to 12 to 15, I, I mean, obviously, it's it would be less. I'm not really sure because they don't have it that sparsed out. But yeah, well, I mean, that, that just goes to show that kids do very, very well at fighting this disease off. But you wouldn't think that if, if you were just to watch the news, the media scared the bejesus out of parents thinking that their kids are going to die unless they get this vaccine. And I want to read this article I stumbled across. It was in Time magazine. I think it was, it must be an opinion article. Um, but it was of this mother, um, the author is this mother sharing her experience with, with her children. And this is when, so I think in late December, they were doing testing on whether to approve the vaccine for five to 11 year olds. It turned out this is all with Pfizer. It turned out that the, um, it, the, the dosing that they use failed to, um, provide a strong immune response. So basically they said, okay, we can't, we can't do it yet. Um, and I'll just read two uh, excerpts from the article here. She says, vaccines for kids 5 to 11 began rolling out in early November of 2021. Every social media post of a child being vaccinated brought a surge of hope, but also of jealousy. When would it be our turn? When would our kids get to return to any semblance of normalcy, of community? Then going on, she says, not soon enough, it turns out. Pfizer, on December 17th, um, announced that the two-dose vaccine they were testing in kids, failed to produce enough immune response. I wanted to wail, to howl, a lifeline taken. That's how it felt to me. The, dizzy, the, the dizzying, sickening ride continuing, our backs against the wall, no end in sight. Like that, that is the response she had, like in, in fear. It's, it's really, it's sad that, that these parents are in, in such fear for their children. I mean, it's understandable. Parents are, yeah. Yeah. love their kids more than anything but they've been kind of given this false story when you look mm-hmm. at the data kids fortunately like thankfully this pandemic has not hurt children you know as much as you know uh, any other demographics i mean if you look at the data from and i, I was going to talk about this later but i'll i can touch on it now flu and pneumonia deaths are greater for that age group Mm-hmm. Car accidents are greater. Uh, fire firearm accidents, drowning, suffocation. These are all way higher than COVID. Right. Like I think the deaths from car accidents and firearms is like double or, or triple or quadruple COVID deaths. Mm-hmm. But like, and then flu and pneumonia. It's close to COVID actually. But yeah, it's flu it's, pretty, it's almost identical with with yeah. flu. But we didn't hear that. Even though the the death rate is the same as COVID, we didn't hear that for the past, you know, 40 years that. Right. Well, so yeah, that, that that same level of fear that does not exist for these other things that are equal, if not more deadly than COVID. But with, I mean, parents have this, this fear. I mean, they rightfully so have a fear based on what they've heard. I, I don't blame right, them for right. that. It's, it's completely understandable. Um, and I'm also not discounting those lives of the, of the kids who have died. Certainly kids have died and there is a risk for death. But when you look at the risk of other things, the relative risk compared to flu, compared to drowning and firearm accidents, like it's 
the same, if not lower than all of those things. And there was no concern over that, no major hysteria, I should say, over those things beforehand. But now all of a sudden with COVID, there's this hysteria that their kid can't step outside unless they're vaccinated or they are signing a death sentence. That's that's what is ingrained into many of these parents' parents' mind. Yeah, and then there's no no discussion of the risk of the alternative or like the risk right. of um, vaccination. Again, I like I'm not saying kids shouldn't get vaccinated, but there is also there is a risk present. That is a fact. I I don't know. I think I put this out in, in a few newsletters ago, but there's a paper published in September. I'll put that in the show notes. They looked at the risk of myocarditis in um, kids who got the second vaccine, second dose of a vaccine. And between 12 to 15 year olds, it's about one in 10,000 or one in 6,000. So one in 6,000 kids between the ages of 12 and 15, they got a second dose of um, either Pfizer or Moderna got myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart. Now, a lot of those kids recovered, but some didn't. And, you know, that's not discussed either. So I think I, I do think it's important that kind of both sides are presented and then allow parents to evaluate the the risks and benefits of each. Right. But it's it's yeah. really lopsided, I guess. The the risk benefit analysis right now is very lopsided. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I was talking about breast milk earlier and how important of a nutrient it is. But one of the problems with it is that once you become an adult, breastfeeding becomes you know, how you say frowned upon. We don't all have access. Now you actually can buy breast milk. There are women that have excess production and you can actually buy it for your kid, but I guess you could drink it if you want to. Um, but my wife can't produce breast milk for two growing boys. So when you don't have access to breast milk for hydration, what is the next best thing? I think y'all know where this is going. It's Element. It is the cleanest electrolyte drink on the planet, just like breast milk. It is the perfect blend of nutrients, just like how breast milk is the, the perfect blend of nutrients for babies. Element is the perfect balance of sodium, magnesium, and potassium for adults. Now, I can't guarantee that Element is as satisfying as breastfeeding, but it is as effective for hydration. So don't worry if you don't have access to breast milk. That's not a concern. Just go to drinklmt.com slash health act to get your Element today. All right. So I think that wraps up this week's headlines. Uh, let's move into the, the fail of the week. And we're sorry this does contain a little bit more COVID talk. Um, so what do, what do you have for us, Andy? Yeah, this is really a continuation of of what we were just talking about. Um, with Omicron spreading across the country, some school districts are actually going back to remote learning. Atlanta, Detroit, Cleveland, Newark, all across the country, uh, we see some school districts going back to remote learning, which it is, uh, I, guess, I guess it depends on what you think about that, but a lot of parents I know struggled the past couple of years with remote learning. And I think, again, like we were just talking about, I think you have to look at the risks and benefits of the alternative. Like we were just talking about, the COVID risk for kids is extremely low. Uh, the stats that I had put in the newsletter a few weeks ago looked at the risk of COVID for kids between zero to 17. And the risk of death was about one per 100,000, which is 0.001%. And the deaths from COVID for kids in that age group fall short of 
many other ways of dying, which I'll put in the show notes for some research on that. And so far from what we have, uh, Omicron does not appear to be more severe for children. There was a headline going around that said children hospitalizations surge as Omicron you know, spreads across the country. But if you actually looked into the data or, or you just opened the article, what you found is that what that meant is that 1,200 kids across the country were in the hospital with COVID, not because of COVID. Basically, hospitals across the country are testing anyone who comes in now for anything. So if a kid comes in, is asymptomatic, they come in for a broken arm. Okay, well, now they are a COVID hospitalization. By even using that you know, extremely broad measurement for COVID hospitalizations for kids, it was 1,200 across the whole country at the time this article was written. And then the headline was children hospitalizations surge. Now it was up from like 900, but again, hospitals are testing more. That does not mean that 1,200 kids were hospitalized because of COVID. And nor is the death rate increasing in kids because right. of Omicron. So that's something to factor in, but yet the reason for shutting down school is because of Omicron. Well, I think looking at the alternative, looking at some of the downsides is, is really important. There was a st- recent study that came out uh, published in Nature Medicine that found that COVID uh, case rates were not statistically different in countries with in-person learning versus remote learning in most regions of the United States, meaning kids that were at home still had the same you know, exposure or, or the same positive case rates as kids that were doing uh, in-person learning. So the benefit there is minimal, if, if anything. And then there are some really big consequences to remote learning that I think are starting to be discussed, but have really been ignored. And apparently for people or, or for school districts that are going back to remote learning, it's, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what the logic was here, but I think it's really important to think about children uh, are falling behind in math and reading. There was some research um, put out by this um NWEA, it's like an educational or a research group. And they found that uh, third through eighth graders, math and reading levels were, were lower uh, than average. And most of those were, the, the shortfalls were largest for black and Hispanic students, as well as students in, in schools with high poverty rates, because they're not going to have the same support uh, of remote, remote learning as you know, somebody in maybe a, a you know, wealthier part of the country. Um, a lot of mental health issues are on the rise for children and teenagers. The American Academy of Pediatrics actually declared a national state of emergency for in children's mental health, uh, citing a dramatic increase in emergency department visits for all mental health emergencies. And a lot of this, sadly, has been shown in suicide attempts. Suicide attempts have risen drastically over the past couple of years, um, particularly with 12 to 17-year-old girls. It rose by 51% since 2019. Um, So not only suicides themselves have gone up, but suicide attempts have have gone up drastically. Now, we can blame TikTok for part of that, but I think a lot of it is due to just being at home, the lack of socialization. Gun violence has increased. Um, Just behavioral problems have increased. A lot of schools have cited... Schools that have come back have cited more disruptive behaviors. There are a lot of downsides, and I think these consequences need to be thoroughly discussed before just saying that, hey, for the sake of the kids, let's take them out of school. 
Um, if we're really talking about the well-being of children, we need to discuss all the factors. Yeah, yeah. I think weighing risk and reward is, uh, again, something that's very important here. We we see the the risk of COVID and the, the, the potential deaths it can cause, um, and we're protecting them from that by leaving them out of school, but at what cost? And, and we, we see some of those costs here of mental health and developmental issues and um, in worst case scenarios, uh, increase suicide rates. So um, yeah, I, I don't know what that's going to look like going forward. I don't think all of the country is, is transitioning to that, but it looks like a few uh, counties are, a few states are. So we'll see kind mm -hmm. of how that plays out over the next few months. Uh, we're going to close things out with the plug of the week where we each give something um, to kind of check out this week, something that we found, found interesting. Um, so what is your plug of the week? Yeah, so I want to plug a YouTube channel, a, a doctor. He's an MD, an oncologist out of, let me see, where, where is he out of? San Francisco, oncologist out of San Francisco. He has a YouTube channel where he has done probably the best job at truly sharing an unbiased approach to like COVID statistics. He doesn't get, I mean, typically when you think of YouTube channels, you either have people that are just so far to one extreme and they just get on and they rant and cr criticize the other side. This guy is like, truly, he, he stays calm and collected. He looks purely at the data. He's on top of the data. Uh, his name is Vinay Prasad, V-I-N-A-P-R-A-S-A-D. Um, every few days, he'll put out um, some research and, and go through a study on some of uh some of it, his whole channel wasn't covid but it's it's taken a covid bent but really smart guy seems like a super nice down-to-earth guy so definitely recommend checking out his youtube channel and i have <clears throat> i have a, a book recommendation called uh, sacred cow by diana rogers and uh, rob wolf we talked about this previously on the podcast but i think it's really particularly a good book to read now um it, it gets into um the, the the raising of meat, how it impacts and how it impacts the environment. That's a big hot topic right now. And they make the argument very well. They lay it out in the book about how sustainably raised, like beef can be sustainably raised. You can raise it in a way that is actually carbon negative. Um, so it's a very interesting read. Check it out. Um, it, they also get into kind of the ethical side of it too, which is interesting. They cover more than just the environment. They look at the ethical side of um, consuming animal products. So if you have been like on the fence about whether you should consume meat or not, whether you should decrease your consumption, they really take a good look at it and kind of cover all of the bases there. So Sacred Cow by Diana Rogers and Rob Wolf. Yeah, it's a good one. All right, that is all we have for you this week. We will be back next week. Thanks for joining us. Have a good week. <laughs>